0: You're listening to... Whoa! Potluck.
1: Potluck. And what is poppin', everybody? It is Thursday, April the 28th, 2022. You're listening to episode 102 of the Good Pop Culture Club. My name is Marvin Yuen, and joining me, as always, to talk about all the good pop that gets through our days, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian-American Jess Jew. What up, Jess? Hello,
0: Marvin. Hello. I'm already tired. It's not even May.
1: Well, you had a very busy uh, personal day today.
0: I did. I went to the doctor and got a physical that I guess it's been four years because pandemic. And Mm. like I got poked and prodded in all ways um, in all the crevices. Uh, I got blood drawn there. A lot happened today. I'm very sore from a tetanus shot. Mm -hmm. but you know that's better than getting tetanus very pro vaccine just want to put that out there
1: i'm just saying as the youngest person uh, since you are the youngest person on this podcast you should go to the doctor more because once you get to our age and above man everything starts falling apart
0: i was definitely the the youngest person at that clinic and everyone was like oh the future does not look (laughs) bright." but it's fine i'm here
1: yeah
2: At least you're facing up to it. I I dread going back to the doctor and everyone just telling me like, well, not only is your are you too fat, but your whatever blood pressure and all the bad things, you know, because I. Going to the doctor is
1: worse than like getting (laughs) dressed down by an auntie because a doctor actually has authority and knows what they're talking about.
2: They have data to back it up. and. You know, when I was healthy and like pre-pandemic, it was kind of like not a big deal. But now I'm just like, yeah, I, you don't need to tell me. I know all the things that are wrong. <laughs> I also like, um, you know, I, I really like
0: my doctor. I chose like a younger Asian-American woman and I haven't seen her for years. Mm. And like, I just I guess I haven't like just had small talk in a while. And we had a good chat, you know, some catching up. And she also sees my mom. So that's also interesting. <laughs> And um, my, I made her laugh a lot because I think, I'm sure, like, she usually gets like older, more sick people. And she gave me, like, a hug on the way. And I'm like, is this normal? Like, was my set just really, like, killer today? Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> I texted, Maybe she has a little crush. I texted my boyfriend and I was like, is that normal? <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's not. He's like, (laughs) patients that
0: can make you laugh are few and far between. Oh,
2: that's actually true. I mean, you know what? You are also offering the best medicine. Mm.
0: I see what you did there. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Uh
1: I also try to find like the Asian American doctors. um, That's around my age because I don't want an older doctor to uncle me or auntie me because that never feels good. (sighs) But when they're your age... And you let them down with your health. Like it, when you go back for your like your results, like man, you're gonna be so disappointed in me, and I can, I'm gonna feel really I, bad. I mean, about
2: it. yeah, I don't know why I keep getting these older women gynecologists who are like haunting me. Like the one who tried to set me up with her <laughs> while she was in you. <laughs> she she started doing the questioning, and I was just like, oh, let me head you up right there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe but, not now.
1: <laughs> there's no escape. That voice, of course, yeah. is our other co-host. Uh, professional culture editor Han Nguyen. Hey Han.
2: Hi. (laughs) Are you due for
1: a doctor's visit?
2: Not me yet. Of course I'm overdue personally but tomorrow actually I'm bringing my cats into the Mm. vet. Both of them for dental work.
0: I also brought Chowder into the vet for his chronic dry eye. He apparently has severe dry (laughs) eye and I'm like we both getting poked and prodded today my
2: dude. Oh. So do you just get drops for
0: that? uh, We're on three drops for his one eye. His one very dry eye. (laughs) And I also had to get a referral. I was like, I would like a referral to a veterinary ophthalmologist just in case because those exist. There's actually one near Aloha Food Factory. And I'm just like, (laughs) it's so funny. She's like, do you want me to come out and like talk to you about pricing? I was like, no, like, what am I going to do? Say no, like be that asshole who won't like help their dog get better. Like I have the privilege of. You know having the ability to pay for it, even if it's like, yeah, it's expensive. I'm like, no, it's fine. I'm not even gonna look at it. Like,
1: what can is I do? There animal health insurance, uh, there, is, yes, there
0: is, but it's like, <laughs> I think at this point, like, they're not gonna cover the eye shit because it's on his record, right?
2: Right, right. So, you the, like, this is just a uh, a message for all the people out there: Don't wait, wait like we do, you know, and get start getting the insurance after they've been having problems. Get it before they're old, or you know, and having problems. Uh, the other thing is, they it covers basically stuff like. Unexpected things, so accident, you know, um, unexpected diseases that come later. So, like almost all of these cats get some sort of kidney disease, disease later. So, I'm trying to hopefully get the insurance before that. But like the dental is not being going to be covered unless, like, let's say, I don't know, someone like punched out my cat you Do, know, would you like me tooth? to punch
0: out your cat so they can get <laughs> let's not plan well, they,
1: insurance fraud on, no. the podcast on, on
2: a podcast oh, le- for legal <laughs> reasons that's a
0: joke that's
2: a joke <laughs> yeah but no my my they already checked out my cat's teeth so they know the condition <laughs> of her teeth before so like tomorrow they're just doing the procedure so there probably is going to be some teeth pooled, which is going to be very interesting because I think um, cats are totally fine if they are missing their teeth, but you do still have that period of time when they're healing from the sutures. So I don't know. Like one cat, I can give her wet food, but the other one doesn't like wet food. So what am I going to do? Um, I'm, she's either going to like to starve, starve, or meow at me forever to try to give her dry food. Um, but it's going to be too hard for her to chew. So mm. I don't know. These are these are cat problem, cat mom problems.
1: Well, um, I wish you the best in your- here. <laughs> your thanks. cat endeavors
2: thanks thanks i set my alarm <laughs> for 6am
1: <laughs> well this week on the Dude Pop Culture Club. We're continuing our, I guess, series of popcorn flicks. Um, last week it was Michael Bay's ambulance. This week is the new <laughs> Nick Cage film, The Unbearable Weight of Immense Talent, um, which we all watched over the weekend. And um yeah, we're excited to talk about Nick Cage on Nick Cage. But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is us through the week. Han, what's been popping?
2: Um, so well, I do want to give a shout out to The Man Who Fell to Earth, which just started on Showtime. But I think I talked about that a little bit previously. But it's a pretty darn good series, which is sort of a continuation of the David Bowie movie. But it stars Chiwetel Ejiofor and uh, Naomi Harris and a surprise appearance by Bill Nighy, who plays the David Bowie character, but older. So um, I think you should check that out. But what I actually watched um, because I was catching up on it is there's a series on HBO called Gentleman Gentlemen. Jack. It is a period drama um, about lesbians. <laughs> the and, lesbian. Uh, <laughs> the, this lesbian known, aka Gentleman Jack. Um, so the second season just started on HBO. So uh, that's why I was doing a catch up. And I'm excited to get to the second season. But basically, the real life woman that it's based on is a woman named Anne Lister. And she kind of kicked ass basically when it came to just taking control of everything so she ran you know she she has her own property she was the person collecting rents she had a coal mine she was an industrialist she um like built all this property and other stuff and um she also had tons and tons and tons of lovers which i was just like huh You're a closeted woman, and yet you have no problem, like, finding all these women, like, all over the place. She also traveled in Europe a lot. Um, And one of the reasons why we know so much about her is she took copious, very detailed um, diaries. And some of it, a lot of it was actually in code, so they had to kind of break the code. Um, But then it was just like— Once they did, they're like, wow, woman, you, you (laughs) fucked a lot. (laughs) Like, a lot." (laughs) A lot, a lot. And they were, like, really... A lot of them were, like, really intense relationships. It wasn't just, like, girl in every port and then, like... But so the first season is actually comes in where she starts to court a young lady because this is uh, an heiress and she, who is younger. She's also goes by the name Anne, which is very confusing. But um, I, I don't know. Uh, but so at first I was like, I don't know how I feel about this, because I think like Anne Lister was about in her 40s at the time. And then this other one was just 29. So I, it's not too gross. She was old enough for sure. But she acted very young on in the show um and so i was like i don't know how how i if i'm down with them like with their relationship i don't know if i ship them but what's really smart about the show is they show a lot of like kind of like real truths about the time period the stuff that they face um they even show Lester getting beat up once because you know she's sticking her nose in the coal mining business you know that's what men stuff um and they do actually break them up a few times because it's not an easy task to first of all convert someone who doesn't know if she's gay um, a young woman and then also to go against all of like everyone in her family and, you know, the dictates of society. So by the end, it's actually a little bit. um, So first season kind of ends with them getting together and the first quote unquote gay marriage in England. Um, It's not official gay marriage, but they kind of they take the sacrament and, you know, it's in a certain church. So you can actually go to that landmark and see a little plaque that um, commemorates that marriage. And um, but anyway, so uh that's not really a spoiler that's spoilers from history but um the second season picks up with them trying to set up house so i'm very excited to see how that works out but um there's also you know some subplots that involve like you know the other shitty things that being in the in that country you know entails um Being someone who is maybe uneducated, uh, there's the, what I like is Anne Lister's younger sister named Marion is played by um, Gemma Whelan. She's known as Yara Greyjoy from Game of Thrones. And what I like is she's more, she's the more conventional woman. And so she's very much kind of like resentful of her older sister getting all of this attention because Anne Lister was also very charismatic and um and she will say, like, well, you know, someone someone wants my property and she's like, Our property, our property. So she like one of the threats she has is like, I'm gonna go get married and then my son is gonna take the property away from you. <laughs> so there's just some some spicy uh sibling rivalry there, which I found very legitimate. You know, <laughs> like I could totally see this happening. Um and I, I bet you a lot of it is in those diaries. Anyway, so I highly recommend it. It's actually a lot more interesting. And, and more realistic than, let's say, a Bridgerton or whatever. Or a
1: Gilded Age. Um, especially
2: <laughs> or a Gilded Age. Like, yeah. So um, it, it's it's just fascinating. And also, they talk about coal mining so much <laughs> that I was just like, I didn't know I was interested in it. And literally the first season, you don't even see her start the coal mine. It's all about political machinations of trying to maneuver to get the coal mine started. And, it's, and there's like an a few other subplots <laughs> of, like, this kid lost his leg. I, I mean, know. if I'm going to for a... Anyway, <laughs>
1: Robber Baron, landlord, coal Baron type person. I'd rather be a lesbian one than like you know your standard just yes robber Baron dude.
2: Right, right. Like they, I don't know how true it all is, but as far as like whether they burnish her reputation or not, because she also seems to be very understanding of of like let's say the lower classes, <laughs> quote unquote. Um, so whether or not she was like that, that's a different story. But also, it's really fun to see her talk straight to like the people it's like you got to make your rent or you got to do this or here like i i can't help out because his name is on the lease but let's see what we can do so it it felt like she was practical in ways that was really fun to watch yeah um anyway that's mine (laughs)
1: <laughs> All right, Chess, what's popping with you?
2: Um, I'm just really busy at work. You know, we're wrapping
0: up for the one month a year that Asians exist to everybody else. Oh, shoot. So, that's really, the up. it is coming up, Marvin. You got to, you know, get your dance card ready. What are it's going to get full, really. <laughs> you know, oh, we God. celebrate I mean, being be. Asian every month of every year. So, we don't have to do anything that's particular, true. I think. Our existence um, is a celebration.
1: That's true. Yes. <laughs>
2: This podcast is yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: but um so really the only I can handle are British panel shows I find on YouTube and my poison of choice lately has been the big quiz show which, if you have not watched it, it's a annual special. on the cage. I don't. I'm not British, so I don't understand like the schedule or the reasoning or when they do it. <laughs> I think COVID also threw a wrench. But it is typically like an annual quiz show where they ask a bunch of fun celebrities like Richard Dawadi, Noel Fielding. Um. It's hosted by Jimmy Carr and his very distinctive laugh, and they get put into teams. And they basically it's like an hour long quiz show, like an hour long with (laughs) no breaks, which is like just again, something Americans can never do. We're not smart enough, not witty enough. And um, they have it's it's very comforting. And then I've been watching like the backlog to remember like, oh, yeah, yeah, that happened that year. (laughs) They've been making like World War Three jokes since like 2016. Oh my God. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's great. I mean, I just really like fun banter and, um, you know, low stakes. The points don't matter. They get a little competitive. Usually it dissolves into some form of chaos in one way or another for, with the panelists. Uh, it's just it's just a lot of good fun, guys. It's a lot of good fun. All right. That
2: I might check <laughs> that out. I need something sort of mindless. Yes, I will send you the links. All right, so Marvin, what's popping with you? All
1: right, so I messed up, and what? somehow <laughs> for the month of May, I am reading probably around four novels because I booked a bunch of interviews for my book club podcast. <laughs> oh Books and yeah,
0: you fucked up. <laughs>
1: um, the good Whoa. the good news is most of them are just YA rom coms, so you know I made made it easy on myself. Um, but <laughs> I'm currently reading our April book club pick which is a book called a taste for love by jennifer yen it is a story about a girl high school senior named liza who loves to bake but is under the thumb of her very demanding mother who keeps trying to set her up on date so the plot is um she enters a baking competition um, to prove herself because she wants to become a baker unbeknownst to her the entire baking competition is a cover for just hooking her up with the other contestants who are all eligible Chinese-American bachelors.
0: Well, wow, they really threw everything in this book, huh? They're like, we got one <laughs> shot. We got one shot. <laughs> I think I
2: read this.
1: Yeah, so the one thing I didn't realize is this is totally one of those adaptations of Pride and Prejudice because um, there is a total enemies to lovers storyline with a brooding... Dude, who she hates at first because he's very rude. There's also a Jane character who Mm -hmm. falls in love with Brooding Guy's cousin, who then he then, you know, breaks them up. And I should have known this because the first line of this book is It is the truth universally acknowledged that a mother in possession of great wisdom must be in want, nay, in need of a daughter who will listen. Which I admit.
2: Yeah, that's on you for not seeing that. (laughs) Yeah, that's on you. Her her name is Liza. Yeah.
1: Um, It's a fun book so far. Um, You know, I think. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's it's pretty sad because I should I started noticing like the tropes as I read along because as a person who <laughs> has been in contact with you know a lot of Pride and Prejudice related content over the last few years mm-hmm. you start noticing things right say, okay that's the Jane that's the Lies. it's like mm-hmm. when I watched the um did you guys see the trailer for Fire Island that came out this week yes, yes. that is
0: also a Pride and Prejudice adaptation Marvel. and then mm-hmm. I was like
1: okay so Bowen is obviously the Jane and yes. Kim Booster is the Lizzie, right? Yes. And I guess um, Conor Rickamora is the Darcy. Yes. Um, yes. But okay, I... so book is fun. You'll totally check it out. Um, listen to our podcast next week if you want to listen to our discussion of the book. I did want to ask you to, because I don't think we've ever discussed this on air, but what is so appealing about a Darcy? Because to me, <laughs> he's always like, they're always just this person this is negs
2: yeah, I, I, I the, the funny thing is, like, I've had to answer this question a few times because definitely a lot of guys are just what's like, the he's just an no 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 he's, yeah he's not yeah, he's not no and as someone who comes from a family who can also be you know passive aggressive or having having repressed you know some sort of like feelings I actually understand Darcy probably better than any other character so. um, It's that sort of reluctance to, you know, yes, he is absolutely proud. He is that person. Or is he prejudiced? It doesn't matter. He's both. They're both. But so he definitely has his flaws. But I do believe that um, the the negging, as you put it, is more of a gruff sort of like reaction <laughs> um and sort of like an exterior that he has. Uh especially when he is someone being pursued for marriage all the time. Yes. So it's yeah. very okay, number one, to
0: the nagging point, he doesn't mean to nag her. She eavesdrops on him talking shit about her. She wasn't meant to hear that because Darcy's actually too polite to have said that to her face. Um, there is also this something hot about mm-hmm. some like, again, someone who is, like, the catch, but, like, he's into you, and he's a good person, and he's ultimately a good person, and, like, like this also plays to, like, Bridgerton season two, like, you are just so intoxicating to him that he can't get over it. Like, that idea yeah. is hot as a woman. Like, we all wish our... Lovers were like so fucking into us that like yeah. they can't function uh, anymore. But and and let's be real, like he provides a he 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 provides stability both financially, emotionally, and like like physically. Like he's a very safe but good catch. Usually, the safe choice is not the good choice.
2: Yeah, I it, it's also there's a certain amount of affection i have for someone who is so inept with his feelings because like what you're saying jess about like he just can't help himself he's so into you but he's like he's trying not to be and so that's why like in pride and prejudice the book itself um his his the the climax or the the peak of it is him basically saying that he's like insulting her he's like but can I propose to you or whatever? It's like, but I'm in love with you. And it's kind of like, this is the worst declaration ever. Um, And it's like, and he definitely deserves to be turned down at that point. But um, it's still a fantastic scene because you can tell he's kind of like, he doesn't know what to do with himself. Um, So that's just, it's great. And I think we (laughs)
0: mentioned, I mentioned this before, but again, enemies lovers is my favorite trope because enemies implies that he sees you as an equal. Mm. Yeah.
2: Because you you wouldn't uh... hate
0: or you wouldn't be an enemy with someone you think is lesser than you. Like they would just be a nuisance or you wouldn't think about them.
2: Yeah, it'd be. Yeah. Okay.
0: And also, I mean, let's be real, (laughs) Marvin. 10,000 pounds a year. What? (laughs) Oh, yes. You have all the. (laughs) Oh, so good.
2: So good. I'm curious. When you watched. uh, Did you watch Bridget Jones's Diary, Marvin? Oh, Marvin. I was like, of course I did, Han. Yeah, no, not Jess. Of course you did. Actually, no, okay. I have so I not kind of...
1: watched any The only Pride and Prejudice I've ever watched like straight up is The Zombies. zombies.
2: Yeah. Not the least of them.
1: So I have not um, watched yeah. the um the Joe Wright um movie I've <laughs> not watched totally the BBC series um
2: Um they're both very good. I've seen all pretty much all of them. <laughs> and um. and I I have I have a respect for the many different ways it's adapted. Right. So But
1: I am familiar with the story at this point so at some yeah, point you I, know should, the Wickham. I should probably just read the book right just go through the original text at yes. this yes
2: it's actually very entertaining <laughs> it's a good book she's a good writer yeah
1: maybe i'll understand the appeal of a darcy more after reading i the was <laughs>
2: i was actually going to reread persuasion um to prep for the
1: uh, yeah we have a lot of great period stuff coming up so that that's great too but yeah um yeah a taste for love if you're into a asian-american um baking centered Pride and Prejudice Adaptation. Um check it out. It's, that's it's, a lot of things, Marvin. It's a good um <laughs> together. That's a, a lot of things. It also takes place in Texas. So um that, that's yes. even yeah. more
0: things.
2: That, uh and, and that's why they go and have boba and stuff like that. So I was like, oh Texas when I was reading it. I was like, this is very <laughs> familiar to me. Yeah.
1: I do enjoy like just it's it's like the film that we're gonna talk about later. A nice, fluffy rom-com, Asian American rom-com. You read it, you identify with it, and then, you know, it's it's over. And it's a, a nice way to pass the time without having to think about all the all the shit that's going on in the world, right? But yeah, that's what's popping for this week. Um, before we get to our featured segment, though, let's check in once again with Top Chef in our podcast within the podcast, Go Asian. Um, luckily, this week, we break our streak of Asians getting voted off the island, but... We did lose a real one. Um, Coven man, Aww. Jackson Cobb um, finally got voted off in this week's Restaurant Wars. And probably the most like Restaurant Wars he reason. He
2: kind of played himself though. Let's be real. He was fucking up. Yeah. Oh, several times over. Like I very much 100% agreed with them. But at the same time, <laughs> I was like, why did you fuck it up? So I mean, royally?
1: yeah. So I've been on record saying that he's just like Jackson is just a big goober. And in this episode, all that goodwill just imploded on itself and and he ended up on the bottom.
2: Yeah. I mean, from the very start, okay, you know, I like a bad pun as much as anybody, (laughs) but the name of the restaurant, no name, uh, which is supposedly like no name, but like, but then they put nim on the menu. So it doesn't make
0: any sense. So you're called no nim, but you have (laughs) nim. (laughs)
2: Yeah, and they put some weird ass like diacritical marks on on the no part of it, so it was. It looked to me, it was like nah, and and that that, yeah with the nem didn't make any sense. I was like, do they know what it means?
1: I feel like that team Um, was. It was already a disadvantage because you had the two contestants that critically overthink. You had Jay and Luke, and both of them mm -hmm. were not on board with the concept. Right, like Jackson kind of. Locked in on Evelyn's skill set and say we're gonna do this.
2: It na- made no sense that even though Evelyn was supposedly the head chef for, or whatever, um, calling the shots, Jackson was actually calling all the shots, which was bizarre to me. Why anyone decided to like listen to him <laughs> because because he thought Evelyn was great. You know, he was like, yeah, let her do her southeast style uh, Asian style of food, which I'm totally fine with, but. Luke doesn't know what that is. And then Jay was like, I don't know what that is. So I was like, I don't know. Half of your team, a good half of your team is not clear on the concept. I mean, he
1: was just, you know, good vibes goobering it. Like kind of like trying to good vibes yeah. it through. And he just couldn't. And I mean, he also, he ultimately went home because his front of house service was just not good. Right? He was not I mean, this- it was
2: all the reason. <laughs> it was all the reason. His front of house was atrocious, I thought. Um, Oh, my God, the the, the sign
0: and, like, Tom ringing him for the sign (laughs) and then his, like, just not being anywhere and having the waiter greet the
2: judging table. Like, my dude, what are you doing? Like, he's been through how many rounds of Top Chef and he just, like, doesn't explain the dishes? I was (laughs) like, why is that suddenly your thing where you're forgetting what you're supposed to do? So that... His idea for two dishes out at once, um, uh, the uh, yeah, the sign, um, his bad dessert, you know, just like everything, every single thing he touched was bad. Yeah, and
1: basically. then he reveals he finally reveals that he has no sense of taste. Oh my
2: god, they were so mad after that scene. Luke where he was, was
1: so mad. To, Luke,
2: Luke,
0: <laughs> oh my god, so Luke, Luke was song. so annoying well, this episode.
2: He, I, but I do have to admit that. Well, first of all, I think they just asked him all those questions because I would have been pissed off if. The guy who tasted my food and told me something the opposite of what it was w- sent me home. So it's actually fortunate he didn't get sent home. Like, Luke didn't go home. Because as much as I don't like him, I don't think he deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it was... <laughs> yeah. I mean, now I'm not thrilled with Luke being there. Like, he, he. I think he brings very little.
1: I mean, so here's <laughs> the thing, right? Like, the thing with Luke is... He may not he may not have done well in the first half, but his skill set is probably better suited for the latter half of no, the No, no, because he right? doesn't know
0: to season his food. It wasn't just <laughs> it wasn't just Jackson and being weird. Like everyone was like, Why like bro, like the Danish did Dan- Denmark Denmark did Denmark take your taste buds? Like everything
2: is Yeah. They've said that multiple yeah. through
0: multiple challenges. They're like Yeah. Like what's wrong with you? Like Yeah. They yeah. don't use seasoning yeah. in
2: Denmark, which they don't well and like but also some dill no noma does use seasonings It just he wasn't the lead there. i don't know man so, i had some michelin star restaurants in denmark
0: and it just tasted like i was running through a forest with my mouth open <laughs> lots of dill lots of like barks i'm like what the fuck am i eating was it good i don't know <laughs> would i much but, rather but just also, have like a one dollar yeah. boat
2: noodle yeah. Regardless, it doesn't seem like he's bringing it, like no yeah. matter what. So, um, yeah. on the
1: other hand, the other team, sure, kicked butt. Um, it did help that they had all three remaining black chefs, plus Buddha, who is actually good at front of house.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my God. His bread, lo- Buddha, Buddha had a great episode. I think he should have won. He was, he had amazing bread. That bread looked amazing. He really, um, you know, he did the front of house great. And like, I just love the part where he's like, no, I've studied every single restaurant ward. You can't do a salad. Like, you just can't.
2: Yeah. Like, all of them had a point of view. All of them, like, were, ex- like, I would like to eat all that food. Yeah. Like, the way they raved about the carrot cake and the potatoes, I was just like, I want to try that. <laughs>
1: I mean, so currently for my job job, I'm producing a show about black cuisine and food waste. So I was totally stoked that like this restaurant with the southern soul food concept did went over really well because it shows that, you know, black food can be fine dining food as well.
2: Yeah. And and this is finally I felt like I've been waiting for Ashley to really step it up because I you know, she's always been talking about like her background because it's not just, you know, uh, black food, but also from Appalachia. So I'm just like the types of ingredients that are available, and the poverty in the area, um, and the ways that they they forage, and all those types of things are different from different regions of America. Yeah. So I've been waiting for that, and yeah, and the way, of course, matriarch, how they honored <laughs> the the women who like influenced them. I was like, ah, another Leah Chase. You know. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, they definitely excellent. have their
1: concept down, which is great. And you know, I was thinking. You know, I love my Asians. I think Buddha has a chance to go all the way. But I wouldn't be mad if we had the all-black uh, finale as well.
2: That would oh, be That would be, great. Th- that'd be
0: fantastic. Yes. I really like Damar. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways.
1: All right. So Top Chef continues Go-Asian, lives on. And yeah, we'll check back again next week to see how everything goes. But that is what's popping for this week on the Good Pop Culture Club. We'll be back after the break to talk about the unbearable weight of immense talent. It is so Massive. unbearable. Alright, stick around. Hi, I'm Marvin. Part of the Popluck Podcast Collective. Welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. This week we're talking about the immense weight of unbearable talent. Or no, that's not how it goes. <laughs> Everything ever all at once is already kind of tough to, to say consistently. Get your mouth around. Um, it's the unbearable weight of massive talent. Right? Yes. Or
0: the Nick Cage movie. We'll just call it Massive Talent. The Nick Cage movie.
1: (laughs) It is a film where Nicolas Cage plays a fictional version of himself, who is a struggling actor in Hollywood, um, who takes a job to appear at a birthday party for a wealthy um, Spanish man um, named Javi Javi Gutierrez, played by Pedro Pascal, and gets wrapped up in um, shenanigans. Um, so that's I think that's pretty much this, this whole movie is shenanigans. Um, and if you love Nick Cage and you love movies, then you'll probably get a good chuckle out of this film. Uh, but yeah, let's get to it. Um, what do we think of the shit, the unbearable weight of massive talent? <laughs>
2: Overall, I was very pleasantly surprised because as much as I do like Nick Cage, um, it's, it's kind of a tricky prospect to play yourself where the title even tells you that they mean it to be in some ways a spoof and overblown. And yet you don't want it to go pushed over the edge to the point where you're like, I'm not enjoying this. It's just ridiculous. So I think it ended up being pretty enjoyable. I think... Because of the fact that they hit upon this central sort of romance plot line between Nick Cage as Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal as his biggest fan, Javi. And so the fact that they both, like, I guess are big admirers of him <laughs> works out. But also they're both cinephiles. And so they can bond over that. And so they talk about the business. And also Pedro Pascal, like... I know we always like him in things, but this is the first time I've ever seen him play very, like, adorable. <laughs> and it works. He's very much, it's very much like, oh, my God, my, my best friend is doing a sleepover, you know, sort of energy. And um, there's even a scene where they're like, they trade shoes, and they're like, wait, you want to trade? They're both fully? Yeah. <laughs> and and it's very cute, like, what they do. And it's this, I was not expecting sort of that energy coming in and it works. Uh, There's also action and also, and you know, references, but that for me is what made it worthwhile.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a movie that could have very easily gone up its own butt. It could have been really pretentious and very like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, but a lot of it just played straight. And I mean, honestly, um, Nick Cage gives a very earnest performance as like a version of himself Um, Yeah, like you said, his chemistry with Pedro Pascal's Javi really carries the film and really it becomes that heart that makes you accept all like the, let's face it, really cheesy things that happen throughout the entire film. Yeah, I think,
0: um, I mean, overall, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good time. Um, You know, do I need to think about this after we wrap this podcast ever again? Probably not. It's, It's not a particularly deep movie. But I will say it's a very well structured movie. It's a well written movie. I think the whoever wrote this film, who sorry I don't know this man. Um, I should probably look him up. But Tim Gormican and Tim (laughs) Gormican, you know, I, I think you know one of the hardest things to do is like write a funny movie that's funny. I thought this movie was very funny, um, and it he has enough command of the technical stuff to make those meta jokes about movie making and script writing and like, okay, now we're going to go into the third act, right? I think they actually say like, we're (laughs) going to go into the third act because we need to figure out how it's going to end. There's some parts I think didn't quite rise to the full potential of Nick Cage. Um, I just find it weird that in a movie where Nick Cage is supposed to be playing himself and it was kind of marketed as like oh this is such a ridiculous thing it was actually a very like tame portrayal of Uh nick cage he has been way crazier in many many of his other movies which i thought was interesting and maybe this says more about me that i know too much about nick cage (laughs) but like this movie totally sanitizes nick cage yeah which is an interesting choice because this whole movie is about how insane nick cage is but you they give him basically the hallmark treatment kind so of there's the, some, there's a little bit of rub there that like, I think I can't really get over. Um, but again, I think it was very, uh, like, like he's not, he's not one kid and one wife down. He is like four kids, three wives down. Three of his wives are Asian, And like 30 years younger than him. And isn't his son named Didn't he name his son after Superman? His son is named Kal-El. He like married uh, Lisa Marie Presley because he had an obsession with Elvis and like (laughs) wanted to collect her. Like he's a lot fucking weirder of a person. And this movie almost (laughs) sanitizes, it does sanitize him.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I think the things that I love about Nick Cage, besides him being an actually really interesting and good actor, is the fact that in real life, he's a weirdo, too. And and I always feel like that's what the, the blurry line between the two is what I kind of expected to see more of in this film. They definitely play with it, but like you said, it's very much like you know when his wife is being played by a white woman that they're not really going deep, you know, (laughs) they're not doing the commentary that maybe I would, would have wanted to see Um, as much as I love Sharon Horgan. Like, she's a great actress. Oh, Um, she's
0: so funny. She's great.
2: She very much balanced out his, like, pomposity here. (laughs) Um, So, all credit to her. But yeah, so, I agree. Like, but maybe I know this was a deliberate choice on their part to make him be sort of middle of the road when it comes to um, the Nick Cage we see on screen because I think they wanted all the other ridiculous stuff not to be having to be raised up also to in order to meet his performance. Yes. Um. So I get it. Like, but and as you said, it was well structured. So, you know, I think all these were very deliberate decisions. Do I want do I? Is that what I wanted? Maybe not. Um. um, It was really jarring because when I realized that this was going to go in a different
0: direction than I anticipated was was the therapist scene when we meet his quote unquote daughter who I know he does not have a daughter that age. He has a Older son named Cal L, who graduated high school with my cousin. Just FYI, oh. she used to be his neighbor before the whole like tax thing. I think he had to sell a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. and then like you slowly realize that like okay, like okay, Neil Patrick Harris is playing his agent that takes you out of it a little bit, right? Yeah. Uh, you get Tiffany Haddish and Ike Bar- Bar- Barinholtz. Barinholtz, like okay, that starts taking, and then and then I had to reset a little bit and be like, okay, this is not as meta as I thought it was going to get because that would have been a much more complicated movie. Mm-hmm. Like, unpacking some of his, like, totally weird-ass, unhinged shit. Yeah. Um Yeah, and I was like, okay, we're going to get, like, family film Nick Cage. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
2: Also, when you're working on a movie with Nick Cage playing himself... There's a certain amount that you can do because if he refuses, that's your star. So apparently he did push back a little bit as far as the portrayal of his fatherhood because previously he was an absentee father to this girl. And instead, he was just like, I feel very uncomfortable with that because people are going to think I'm an absentee father. Uh, He was like, I'm very involved with my kids. So they made it that he was just involved with himself. (laughs) And wanted his (laughs) daughter to be a mini him. So I was like, okay, interesting choice. But uh, yeah, so, you know, everything should be taken with a grain of salt when it comes to whether or not we see the Nick Cage that is supposed to be real. (laughs) Um, They do give a little bit of wildness with um, a younger version of himself. So he calls the younger version of himself Nicky. Right. There's a second Nick
1: Cage. Yeah. So you
2: see Nick Cage talking to nick cage but so we call it nick and nicky and then nicky is the wild at heart younger version of him so if you've seen wild at heart you kind of know what you're getting into where he's well wild at heart and um but he's also young he's kind of like supposedly this badass kind of guy uh with the floppy hair and all that stuff um and at one point you do actually see them kiss nick cage yes I wonder who got to play the other Nick Cage stand in. Yeah. Um, so which, which is a cute thing is, you know, when you see young Nicky basically uh, credited is actually Nick Cage's real name. So it's Nicholas Coppola.
1: I can believe that Nick Cage would want to kiss himself.
2: Yeah, he is <laughs> good, apparently. Would you kiss yourself? I'd kiss myself. I think I would be a good kisser because we know how we like to kiss, <laughs> right? Um, so I and, you know, I guess you have to at that point admit whether or not you are bi <laughs> so <I guess. laughs> or or just narcissistic <laughs> yeah
1: that too um so just and i watched this film together at uh, a movie theater and um i do have <laughs> the moment that um, they started going meta in like this is a film about filmmakers and actors just i saw you start to cringe in your seat <laughs>
0: So as a reformed theater kid, you know, there is a certain level of self-importance that we uh, thespians like to give to ourselves. And um, it really brought me back to that, like a pen 15 level of cringe and how I used to think of myself as a thespian. So really, really felt that. But then payoff was worth it because when he acts his way into the compound as, uh, you know, the Italian mob boss. Um, Love that. Absolutely love that. That weird ass walk he does. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, His like inner monologue about being a thespian.
2: Fantastic. But yeah, it just it brings me back to a place I don't want to
0: be. You
2: know, (laughs) I I enjoyed it for the Hollywood stuff because um, or at least the initial one where basically, you know, for anyone who knows how really big Hollywood stars are, you just get cast and stuff. You don't have to try out. Um, you don't have to read the the lines to show that you have the goods to play the part. And so for him to sort of basically force this person who wrote a screenplay to like listen to him read the line is just like, and the line is ridiculous. It's like a whole ass scene. <laughs> so um, it's 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 fun to me. And I also was like, is that the Four Seasons? Because you know you're kind of keeping an eye out for any other things. Like we, I mean, we see. Like LA all over the place when it comes to movies and, and TV shows or other other cities, so um, that's always fun for me. I'm, I'm kind of sad that like David Fincher wasn't game, because I mean they're talking about
0: Mank, yeah, right. It's supposed to be a version of Mank, which mm-hmm. you know was a David Fincher movie, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was some other guy. I don't I don't I did not recognize
1: him.
2: I I didn't either. I thought about it and I was like, should I look him up? And then I promptly forgot. So I mean, this I
1: film look. was as meta as it is for Nick Cage to play himself. This film was also a love letter to Nick Cage's filmography. Right, there's a lot of deep cuts in here. You know, the film starts off with a scene from Con Air. Um, <laughs> they reference everything from guarding tests to face off
0: to Gone in 60 Seconds. Yeah,
1: Right. He does his uh, own uh, driving stunts, right? Yeah.
0: And, and I, I do love Gone in 60 Seconds. So uh, and the checkoffs, the checkoffs, face-off guns was great.
1: Right. Um, when I saw those guns in that case, I was like, those guns are coming back. Yes. For sure. They placed those two golden guns on that mantle. It's Coming back at some point, uh, yeah, yep.
2: yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, so that was good. I, I think, I mean, I think clearly, with the exception of Sharon Horgan just being able to act anything, um, all the women's stuff was pretty bad,
1: yeah. I mean, even <laughs> I feel like the third act was like to me, it was a callback to the third act adaptation, which is mm-hmm. a, um, I don't know if. You guys have seen adaptation? It's like one of those Charlie Kaufman like weird films. Um, It's a film about adapting a book that's unadaptable, and in the end, in the third act, they turn it into a action drug chase. And in this film, like they do something similar to the third act where they go meta and say, "How do we finish this story?" It's it's a character driven drama that
0: also that was kind of a letdown. Like that was kind of a cop out to like just not really finish the movie and (laughs) finish it as like a film within a film.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. I yeah. mean, it it was fine. Like it was, I, it's fine for this yeah. kind of movie, you know. Uh, what I also loved was this is. It's not. I'm not going to say justice for because there's never. There's always been love for Paddington Two, but I think this is definitely revived the love for Paddington Two. Where some like a lot of people I know, like including one of my coworkers, was like is Paddington Two really that good? I was like, Have you yes. not heard? I've never and I was seen. Like, yes. I've never seen so the Paddington. Good. It is. Like it's delightful. I don't know how you missed all of the discourse when Paddington Two came out. People were like, all the cinephiles were like all up in my feed, you know, like claiming that it needed like Oscars and all sort of stuff. And it's great. It really is good. And I think um, the uh, the ratings, I think on Rotten Tomatoes. Not that I think that's an authority or not, but it did overtake Sis and Kane. (laughs) <laughs> so I thought that was funny um, All right, but, so I, have a, yeah. I
1: have a question so do I need to watch Paddington 1 to get no. Paddington 2 no,
2: no but they're both good movies so yeah. you just
0: should because it's a just, good time just set
2: yourself up for, for enjoyment <laughs> so watch 1, 2 but I also want to say watch A Very English Scandal um, which you may not understand exactly why but once you watch Paddington 2 and then you watch A Very English Scandal then you'll understand they're related. They have the same.
0: They have the same two actors. Oh my god! It's it is this. Oh my god! I
2: didn't realize it's that. Hugh Grant and Ben Wishaw. I didn't know Ben Wishaw was in a very English scandal. So do you know? There's this scene where, um, where uh, I think it's at an event where someone had a big sign that said "fuck Paddington" because they were very angry, and then so Hugh Grant said, "I did." <laughs> because, so there you go. You got to watch it.
0: Has anyone, I'm sure someone has done this. Has someone taken dialogue from a very English scandal and like imposed it onto Paddington
2: 2 or vice versa? I actually don't know, but I, again, I wouldn't be surprised. There's so, probably TikTok uh,
1: somewhere that does that.
2: Yeah. It's just the internet, it's there for you, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. So watch all of yeah. those three things. Yeah.
1: All right. <laughs> if you
2: learn anything from this Nick Cage movie, watch Paddington 2. Watch Paddington, watch Paddington. Watch
0: Paddington. That's That's 2. It is a great movie. uh I I, can can I ask what are your top three favorite movies
2: guys? I don't know. That's I have to say you sound like Nick Cage right now in the movie. I'm with them. It's too hard to say. Um I'm trying to think what's Okay, in this okay, okay, Nick Cage, but in this moment, just pick three. Just pick three. I'm not sure if I can pick three, but I do have to say everything everywhere all at once is really up there. And I don't think it's just recency bias. Um Way back in the day, I used to love Brazil, which is a very bizarre film. And I'm trying to think if there's a, like a fun film in there that I really enjoyed and I will watch at any time. And I know there is. I just can't think of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, for um, me, probably Everything Everywhere is definitely up there. I'm sure um, there's a, like a romance Eternal or Sunshine has like, been up there for a long time. I feel like that's always been they're, in they They're three. similar. Yeah.
2: They're very similar. Um, yeah. I don't know what else. <laughs> well, Jess, do you know? rush hour one, rush hour two,
0: (laughs) not rush hour, not rush hour three, but legitimately like rush hour two. And Mm -hmm. probably she's the
2: man. I enjoy and- that one a lot. I would not count it as the top, but that was also prime. Hit at the right time for me. Also, well, prime Amanda Bynes, which is why I was so upset when she kind of went downhill. <laughs> I know. I think that was a movie that started it all, too,
0: because mm-hmm. she had to be a man and it was rough for her. You know, being a teenage girl in the limelight at that mm-hmm. time of Hollywood was really rough. I think most of them did not
2: get out unscathed no exactly the only one who kind of did was hillary duff and it was because her family was like very strict about everything oh yeah so, except they let her date like a 25 year old when she was 16 yeah and then you know she that eventually was fucking weird she but eventually find out yeah she's like aren't they divorced are they divorced that was joel
0: madden oh, okay. who is now married to right? Nicole richie that was funny um, hey, what didn't no, she do uh, on
1: one of the hemsworths or am i think of someone else
0: no, 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 no! That was that's Miley Marley Cyrus. <laughs> you're, see, you're getting all. You, of that's them a myself. whole different generation, Marvin. Yeah, that's um, old. That's that's uh, the generation after. She is now married to Matthew Cuomo. No wait, that's the Weezer guy. She's married to some some producer who like writes with Zed. and <laughs> oh, really? She looks very happy. Her first husband was a hockey player. That's who
2: I was thinking of. A hockey player, right? Right? Right?
1: right. Uh, yeah. Speaking of, I guess, female characters. You did mention this earlier, Han, huh? but um, the female characters in this film not a lot to work with um t- i feel like tiffany haddish in particular like they just didn't utilize her well
2: she and ike Barinholtz, they didn't know what to do with them in general like you get those two comedians and you waste them yeah um, yeah they were a, just like exposition machines i yeah, guess, in basically the worst plot in the whole movie
1: yeah i so i do want to talk about it because i feel like i would have much preferred just a whole movie where it's just a that character study between Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal. Um, Yeah. But I I, guess, I don't know if it's meta or just like, you can't have Nick Cage in a Nick Cage movie without a shootout. I don't know. Like, I don't know what this film is trying to tell me. I know I had fun, but the end, yeah, like, I guess all I learned was watch Paddington too.
2: Yeah. I think like the only, the initial setup where, um, where he has to, I, I don't want to spoil too much, but basically he has to go undercover, um, Trying to investigate Javi, that the first scene where he's trying to like find something actually ended up being pretty funny physically uh, for comedy for him. But everything <laughs> after that, I didn't care about that dual narrative. Um, and I think they must have realized something wasn't working because they're like, well, what do we do with them? Just kill them off. I don't know. You know, because yeah, I don't. I and, okay, did so not one care thing the
1: spy angle did open up was the fact, was the running joke that. Acting is just like spycraft. Yes.
2: Uh, Oh. 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 No. He had a um, nouveau shamanistic uh, (laughs) style of acting, whatever that means. (laughs) Um,
1: All right. So um, yeah, as we as we close our discussion, um, is let me get get this straight is the um, (laughs) is the unbearable (laughs) weight of massive talent good pop?
2: It's perfectly decent, fun, pop. Uh, and you know what? Original movie mm-hmm, released
0: mm-hmm. theatrically.
2: Yeah. A little
0: fun satire of, you know, movie stars need to like start taking, the, stop taking themselves so seriously. Like I need need more like movie craft, you know, movie star craft. <laughs> you can't just post shit and start skincare line on Instagram. Like we you need a work. You need a work for the public's affection.
2: Okay. Let's bring that back. So between Ambulance and then this, I think that's a good example of having some really good actors do fun stuff. Yes. <laughs> they are working.
1: Yeah. Um, I had fun. I think, uh, you know, in terms of just pop culture, that's just fun to watch. I think um, I think this film, I'm not going to say the name again because I'm going to mess it up, it was a perfectly <laughs> good time. Um, I do enjoy... The fact that um, Nick Cage was game for, you know, playing himself. Um, I know I feel like some actors probably wouldn't be as down for it. But I think at this point, like the fact that, like, we all probably have knowledge of his vast filmography added to the enjoyment of this film, you know, seeing scenes from Con Air, seeing scenes from, you know, references to Gone in 60 Seconds. Um, it, it, it all adds to a, the enjoyment.
2: There's a great. A reference to the wicker man <laughs> <laughs> yes in the in one of the last scenes yeah. so uh, just google it after you watch the movie just in case you don't know what I'm talking about but watch the film first uh, and which is a fantastic Ad lib on uh, Nick Cage's part, actually. Yeah. So, so
1: you know, now yeah. that films are back, you know, you, you need something to tide you over before you go watch Doctor Strange in a month. So you know, go check out this film. Go check out everything ever all at once. Check out Ambulance too. It's a it's a good time for just good popcorn flicks.
0: Ambulance. <laughs> Ambul-
1: <laughs> all right. Jess Han, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. If people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go?
0: My trash takes are on Twitter so far at Just You <laughs> Tweets. Who knows how much longer I'll we'll be there, though?
2: Uh, I agree. We should talk about this. But anyway, and I am at Hanonymous.
1: You can find me at Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. Um, we are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com and yeah, we'll be back next week to go over the latest Asian American entertainment news for our April edition of Do We Want This? Uh, but until then, um, have a great week and we'll see you next time.
2: Bye.
1: a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Phoba. just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app. we're getting tired of